Today, some of our best segments from the global lane. The World Health Organization is moving forward to revise international health regulations in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Some member states are expressing concern over provisions of the zero-draft WHO Convention Agreement. Critics say the proposed agreement would give the WHO authority over health care, trade, and other aspects of our lives. Well, joining us to explain more is Reggie Littlejohn. Ms. Littlejohn is president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers and co-chair of the Stop Vaccine Passport Task Force. Hi, Reggie. Before we discuss how this ties into U.S. law, what would approval of this zero draft agreement mean for people worldwide? Well, I believe that it will mean the establishment of a, a worldwide totalitarian biotech state. So these, these instruments, and, and by the way, you correctly uh, characterized the zero draft as an agreement. Uh, that's what they're calling it. They don't want to call it a treaty because they are deliberately trying to subvert the United States and the other countries' treaty processes. So if it's an agreement, all it takes is a signature. It does not take going through our Senate. So people say, oh, don't worry about it. It will never pass our Senate. Well, they are deliberately subverting our Senate uh, process. Signatories must recognize, quote, the central role of the WHO as a directing and coordinating authority on international health work. What do you believe that means? Well, it, it means that the WHO is able to call the shots if there's any health uh, emergency or potential health emergency anywhere in the world. And the language that says that they have to have the permission of the country has is stricken so that they can do it without the permission of the country. And it's not only about human health. They have something called One Health, which means that they can do it on behalf of human health, animal health, plant health, the environment. They can use any reason that they want to be able to come in and basically run, run the show in terms of uh, addressing that health issue. And, and I've read the Zero Draft proposal. It gives the WHO authority over the global supply chain, trade, commerce, uh, through establishment of the WHO Global Pandemic Supply Chain and Logistics Network. WHO Director, uh, Director General uh, Tedros would lead that effort early on in the pandemic. You remember Tedros praised President Xi Jinping for China's efforts to control the outbreak. So your thoughts on him and his potential control of the supply chain? Well, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus is very closely aligned with the Chinese Communist Party. And the Chinese Communist Party has absolutely outsized uh, influence at the World Health Organization, uh, which is why they were able to get away with all the lies that they did, which were just amplified by uh, Dr. Tedros. So this is, uh, is not a good alliance at all. And in terms of the supply chains, they, they are also wanting to take um, control over the intellectual property. Like if somebody in the United States or another country develops a great vaccine, they're, they're going to be forced to share that information, which is which I think is bad for the, the production of pharmaceuticals. I think that it's, the intellectual property rights are, rights are very important. Yes, I noticed that in the draft agreement and, and here in the U.S., let's move forward. 
How is the Biden administration planning to use the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, to pre-approve whatever is approved by the WHO? This is something that just came to my attention on Friday from another from an international law expert that this uh, National Defense Authorization Act, which was rammed through at the very end of the last Congress, contains within it something called the International Pandemic Preparedness Act. And I think most people in Congress don't even know about this. Um, but that act contains a loophole in it, which he argues, and I agree, would makes it that whatever the World Health Organization passes is automatically made law in the United States, again, subverting our, our Senate. So this needs to be opposed. And in fact, I think that the entire World Health Organization attempt to take over the world, really, um, through vaccine passports, that's another thing that they want to do. Um, the World Health Organization, if these things are passed, will have the ability to mandate in the United States, how we handle a pandemic, including forced quarantines, forced mass mandates, forced vaccine mandates. Why, why should we allow Dr. Tedros, who failed so miserably in handling the Wuhan virus, uh, order us around about how we handle our own health? So I think that we should actually withdraw from the WHO, and we are calling for um, there's there's a, a, a uh, bill that is sponsored by Representative Biggs, um, and there is also a debate right now about raising the, de the debt ceiling. I think that anyone who believes in freedom in the U.S. Congress should condition raising the debt ceiling on U.S. withdrawal from the World Health Organization. Okay, Reggie Littlejohn, president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers and co-chair of the Stop Vaccine Passports Task Force. Thank you for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Free speech and religious freedom under fire again in Canada. This time it's not pastors getting arrested over COVID-19 restrictions, but a 16-year-old high school student. Josh Alexander shared his thoughts about transgender ideology at St. Joseph's Catholic High School in Renfrew, Ontario. Officials suspended him from class for the rest of the school year, and when he showed up to class for the second semester, he was promptly arrested by two police officers. Well, here to share what happened is Josh Alexander. Josh, it's good to talk with you. So what happened in class? What did you say that got you in trouble? Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, so the, uh, the whole issue started uh, back in October, I suppose. Um, I had moved to the Catholic board. And uh, female students in the school informed me that uh, male students were using the female washrooms and they were concerned by this. Um, so I decided to talk about that. Um, I voiced my beliefs and uh, I expressed concern to the principal. Um, a female student also expressed concern to the principal and we were both ignored. Uh, so at that point, I decided to organize a protest outside to uh, shed some uh, light on what was going on in, behind closed doors. And... Uh, they ended up suspending me indefinitely two days before the uh, the actual protests. They gave me uh, an exclusion order. Um, this exclusion order was completely unlawful and discriminatory, and uh, so I decided to um, show up to school um, regardless of the exclusion order. And at that point, they hit me with a trespassing notice and another suspension. I waited all of that out until the end of the semester, lost four of my credits, and... Uh, by the beginning, next, uh, beginning of the next semester, 
Um, with my lawyer, I informed them that I would return to school and continue to adhere to my religious beliefs. Not long into that time, I was uh, brought to the office, the principal blocked the exit, and uh, two police officers ended up uh, entering the building. And when they told me to leave, I explained to them the situation, how I was only in that situation because of my uh, beliefs and that I uh, exercised my fundamental freedoms and that I wasn't going to leave on a request. So uh, they ended up arresting me and they charged me with trespassing. Were you hateful or disrespectful? What tone did you take when you said what you did? No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't disrespectful at all. I, uh, I voiced my beliefs, my sincere beliefs, and uh, I never directed at a specific trans student that was doing anything. Um, I don't contone their behavior, but I also sympathize with them because they're a victim of our society um, and our education system and our the terrible parents that have encouraged and pushed that on their children. I was called a racist, a sexist, a bigot. Uh, by like staff and students were involved in this stuff, and. Uh, yeah, I just continued to voice my beliefs, and uh, I had ended up getting me arrested. There was conditions they wanted me to agree to in order to return to school. As a Christian, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to accept the falsehood. I'm not going to go along with the mainstream narrative that is completely contrary to God's natural order. So um, I couldn't agree to those conditions, and uh, that's where I'm at at this point. Were you actually taken to the police station and booked, put in jail? Uh, no, they actually, they charged me from the cruiser and then they ended up uh, releasing me to my brother. Okay. And what was the reaction of your parents having their son arrested? Um, I doubt they're very happy about that. Uh, I mean, they, they recognized that uh, all I had done was express my beliefs and uh, they weren't, they weren't too happy with the response from the Ontario provincial police or the school board. So they were supportive of their son expressing his faith in a Catholic school. Yes. Uh, imagine that. Uh, the principal declined to do an interview with a reporter from the National Post saying he couldn't comment about your case because of the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act that prevents him from talking about specific student cases. So what would you like to see happen now, Josh? Well, we're taking, uh, we're taking my school to the Human Rights Commission. Um, I would, uh, we also just had a uh, presentation um, at the school board meeting and uh, we got to, uh, well, I had a representative from uh, parents as first educators. Uh, they got to give a presentation and explained where we were coming from a bit and offered some uh, resolutions. I don't know where that'll go, but uh, hopefully we can find a resolution and uh, move on and that uh, the, the safety of our female students would be taken a little more seriously and, uh, our freedom of expression would be uh, defended rather than attacked by our education system. And, and the freedom of religion, your belief yeah. uh, in a Catholic Absolutely. school. So tell us about the petition you've got going. Yeah, we've got a, uh, we've got a petition. You can find it at libertycoalitioncanada.com. And uh, that, that's probably, we've got some plans that we, uh, we haven't yet uh, released, but the, that'll come in handy. So if you, if you want to support what we're doing, just go ahead and sign that petition. Okay, and, and finally, Josh, how important is your Christian faith to you? Tell us about your relationship with Christ. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, I probably wouldn't be here today uh, if it wasn't for it. And uh, I, I recognize that our, uh, our freedom of religion is under attack. And uh, like I said earlier, God's natural order is under attack. The, the, uh, the family unit 
in general is uh, being attacked from every angle. And they're starting with the youth. Um, you can see it not only in the education system, but even what they're doing with the Drake Queen story time hours. I was actually arrested the day after um, at the school. I was arrested twice in two days um, because I was uh, quoting scripture um, outside of a uh, Drake Queen story time. And uh, the police arrested me for that and uh, charged me again. So it, I would say my, my faith plays a fairly large role in it. I'm not going to silence myself. Uh, we're told to go into the world and preach the gospel, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. And there are consequences in a fallen world when you do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Josh Alexander, all the best to you. Thank you for sharing your time and thoughts. God bless you. Thank you. God bless. Anti-Semitism is rising and American Jewish commitment to traditional values and Israel is in decline. 89% of American Jews say anti-Semitism is a problem in the U.S. today. Over 25% say they were the victim of an anti-Semitic incident last year. Our next guest is concerned about that and what he believes is a decline in Jewish traditions and knowledge. Leo Leibovitz is an author, editor-at-large at Tablet Magazine, host of the weekly Jewish podcast, Unorthodox. Leo, it's a, it's a pleasure to discuss this with you. So first, a rise in anti-Semitism. Uh, one out of four American Jews say they were a victim of anti-Semitism last year. So why the increase here in America? What do you think? First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you know, I think it's a, uh, it's a long and sordid story. But put briefly, it's this. Uh, we have always had a scrum of Jew haters in this country, but uh, thankfully... Blessedly, it was a pretty small group of bigots. Uh, what we're seeing in the last 10, 15, 20 years uh, is that to the ranks of the Jew haters are now added uh, people in previously hallowed positions. We're looking at university professors. We're looking at broadcasters. We're looking at social media influencers. We're looking at people with, with real authority and social credibility who are now not afraid to use their lecterns and their platforms to say things like the sole Jewish state in the world has no right to exist. I think social media, as you say, it probably has played into that as well. So are you concerned about a decline in the commitment of recent generations to traditional Jewish practices and values? Tell us what's happening there. So I'm, I'm deeply concerned uh, about that, sir. I think uh, that if you look at uh, American Jews, and I don't think we're different than, than uh, Christians and, and perhaps Muslims too in this regard, uh, you see a generation of young people uh, that was pretty much raised to treat Judaism like something that you put in an escrow account uh, and could worry about that much later. Uh, not a real thing, not a lived-in tradition, not something that you do, but rather some identity that you checked in a box, you went to synagogue three times a year and everything was okay. I think part of this rise in anti-Semitism, part of this uh, kind of noted hatred that you're seeing is uh, gladly, if it has any upside, uh, it's that it's pushing a lot of people to realize that being Jewish is not a possibility. Doing Jewish uh, is really the only way forward, a real lived-in identity. You have to learn something. You have to do something. You have to represent this faith and live it, embody it, rather than just uh, wear it on like a jacket. And if anything good's going to come from this shocking rise in anti-Semitism, Gary, it's this. Well, you were born in Israel from Herzliya. Tell us about Indeed. the decline in commitment to Israel, because it seems that many evangelical Christians are more concerned than many American Jews about helping and standing with Israel. Why? Th that is true, and God, God bless them for that. 
Uh, I think Israel is is a very, very special place. I think Israel uh, is not another normal country. Israel really represents the kind of perfect coming together of faith, of family, of nation. And if you care very deeply about these three things, then by default, you care very deeply about Israel. I think the tragedy is that a lot of uh, secular Americans and, and a lot of American Jews count themselves, sadly, in this group. Uh, look at these three pillars. Look at faith, look at family, and look at nation, not as strongholds to be rooted in and to be uh, protective of, but rather as problematic uh, things to grapple with, as source points, as focal points for oppression, for uh, regression, for all kinds of bad things. If you regret, if you reject these things, if you reject family, reject faith, reject nationalism, then Israel is a problem for you. If you understand that they are the bedrock of human civilization, then Israel is something to embrace, love, and be very proud of. Do you think there's a connection then between this rise in anti-Semitism and a decline in this commitment to Israel, also the Jewish faith? The maybe younger American Jews think if they become less Jewish, they'll avoid oh, persecution? I think that's absolutely the case. Look, uh, it's never a fun thing uh, or, or a particularly instructive way to see the world uh, in, in binary terms. But I think we're really looking uh, at America right now and seeing two camps, uh, Team A and Team B. You know, on Team A are people who are interested in extreme uh, atomized individualization, who see every interpersonal interaction as necessarily all about power uh, who worry very much uh, about where this power lies uh, and, and who always want more of it, uh, who speak in the language of, you know, victimization and privilege. And then the other team, Team B, and I call it Team B because we're not the people who run the media. We're not the people you will find in the Ivy League universities. We're not the people you will find in the classrooms and boardrooms of this great nation. But in Team B, we believe in family and we believe in faith and we believe in the nation. Uh, and And when we look at these values, uh, we understand that as complicated as they may be and as uh, deeply divergent we may be from other people who hold different faiths, uh, we're in this group together fighting not just for the future of Israel, uh, but for the future of America as well. Yay for Team B. Okay, Leo Leibowitz, Tablet Magazine, host of the Unorthodox Podcast. Thank you for providing those insights. We appreciate it. My pleasure. God bless you. As the U.S. Supreme Court considers student loan debt forgiveness, a Christian college in Missouri is asking the court to hear its case about gender and dorm assignments. If you've ever taken a trip to Branson, Missouri, you've probably heard of College of the Ozarks. It's a small, prestigious Christian institution for higher education nestled in the Ozark Mountains in a place called Point Lookout. Less than 1,500 students are enrolled, but the college receives thousands of applications from those wanting to attend there. That's because the college offers free tuition. But unlike many students pushing for debt forgiveness, these students work for their tuition. You work uh, for 40 hours a week for 12 weeks, and that pays for your room and board for the fall and the spring semester. I've worked at the laundry, I've worked at the warehouse, I've worked at the Keter Center, I've worked in the construction department. I've done it intentionally to get a well-rounded work education. It's incredibly important, I think, to our country to graduate people who understand that 
being debt free is a good thing and that debt is bad. And if you want something, you work for it. What a concept. Work hard and your debt is forgiven. This college emphasizes character and patriotism and, of course, Christian values. Back in 2021, President Biden signed an executive order barring gender discrimination. So the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, applied gender identity to the 1968 Fair Housing Act. As a result, the federal government is now trying to force the College of the Ozarks to open its bathrooms, showers, and dorm rooms to whatever gender someone thinks they are at the time. A biological male could room and shower with a female co-ed if he identifies as a female. CFO says that it is discrimination against them. They're a religious institution. It would force the college to abandon its biblical principles and its faithful commitment to God regarding sex and marriage. The Eighth Circuit Court ruled against the college, and that's why the school wants the Supreme Court to take up the case. Folks, this violates the U.S. Constitution and the right of freedom of religion. Let me remind you of Article 1 of the Bill of Rights, which says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That means the government cannot impose another faith, in this case, woke secular humanist religion, on the school. It also applies to President Biden and HUD. They cannot force a college to violate Christian principles, its beliefs about sex and gender, or anything else, because to do so would impose another belief system, in actuality, a government-conceived religion, on the institution. The Supreme Court must take up this case. Religious institutions must be excluded from this HUD rule. It is of utmost importance to American society to restate our guaranteed commitment to the First Amendment and religious freedom. If the government erodes the right of citizens to freely adopt and practice their own religious beliefs without religious freedom, the country is no longer free. And the democracy that the president and many politicians continually warn us is under threat will cease to exist. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.